Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to a brand-new 2019 episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and I am in New York City. We are joined today in Washington, D.C. by Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University, David Sanger of the New York Times. I think David Sanger's in New York, in, in Washington, D.C. Are you in Washington, D.C.? I, 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 I am indeed um, return to the swamp. Return from, from Vermont. Um, and uh, also Ed Luce of the Financial Times. And I think in London, England, is Corey Shockey. Corey Shockey, where where are you? Are you just hiding from your family after the holidays? It is true that I'm hiding from my family after the holidays, but I'm doing so somewhere in central London. Um, do you know where and, you are? And it's probably very wise not to tell anyone. <laughs> otherwise, you're going to have more visitors. The then Shockey we- tribe are avid Deep State Radio fans. Therefore, I just can't. Um, well, we then we love the Shockey Tribe and Happy New Year, Shockey Tribe, and please be nice to Corey. And <laughs> did 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 you have a good holiday, Corey? I had incredibly jolly holidays. Two family weddings, including my precious elder nephew, who's married a woman he's incredibly well suited to, and I believe, you know, sooner rather than later, I will be a grandaunt. I'm wow, very that's, excited about that. It's very nice. I, I must say, one of the things that really sort of took the edge off of my holidays, which were otherwise lovely, was that there was a period when you were in Vienna just sending out pictures of pastries from the hotel soccer <laughs> and like that. And I thought that was kind of like torture. It was like unfair to the rest of us. Well, you know, before we came on the air, we were having a conversation about what a bad Cruella de Vil Rosa would be and what a good one I would be. So I offer this as evidence in support of that theory. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Rosa, I, I, I don't think that's fully fair. I think if you really put your mind to it, you could be quite the Cruella de Vil. Oh, I think she could be one without actually putting her I mind to so. it. I think so. I think so. Thank you. Yeah. Just in her yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm multitasking. I have... She could still do this. Yeah. I don't feel that I have any lack of ruthlessness. We were discussing my my failed efforts to eliminate a cat belonging to a long ago uh, romantic partner, an evil cat who should not have walked the earth, and how they failed. I think I failed in ingenuity, not in ruthlessness. Yeah, well, um, it's it's nice to know you tried. And that you even attempted to right. get rid of the cat by surreptitious oh, means, I think, speaks to your capabilities. 
Now, of course, you could take some pointers because the one person we know who's darn near really gotten rid of his cats is Ed Luce. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that, they're still with me, unfortunately. Uh, Ed, would they, you like me to come over and help? They've got seven more lives. So, yeah, plenty of opportunity. They've got seven more? I thought you only once nearly decapitated them. What else has happened? I have a prediction, actually, that there will be cats in Ed Luce's life longer than his country will be in the EU. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That's well, not fair. I, I, you've given me my first re reason not to root for Remain or a people's vote. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. For a moment there, I thought you said root for Romaine, and I was wondering if the whole E. No, coli no, thing was still no, going on. And salads, no, they're even worse than cats. No, you could give Romaine to your cats. Yeah. Ah, oh, that now that is ingenious, Rosa. <laughs> really, it's ingenious. Yeah. Salm Salmonella for the cat. See, she's already doing the Cruella Deville thing, and she hasn't even had to think about it. Yeah, the, I have to tell the listeners the reason we're talking about this a little bit is that over the holidays, we in our household um, had a had an arrival, which is um, a, a, a dog, which I really wasn't quite expecting, but he arrived several days ago, and his name for the moment is Snack, although there's a kind of lively debate about what he should be called. Does um, that mean that you have plans for him, culinary plans? <laughs> it was more like we thought he might look at others with those culinary plans in mind. Um, but you, um, did you think about naming him Silo? So we did. I didn't actually didn't think of naming him Silo or <laughs> Deep or, or, or Snark, which would be a really good name for a dog or, yeah. <laughs> or first course or hors d'oeuvre. Or... <laughs> you know, Snack is close to Snark. You could call him Snark and see if he notices. He wouldn't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Part of the reason we're calling him Snack is a problem because when you tell him to sit, he doesn't. Anyway, it's a long story. But he's also red, which is kind of weird for a golden retriever. But he's kind of red. He's a, he's a rescue, so he's not 100% golden retriever. But um, so there's there's a lot of things. But we, for the moment, will call him Deep State Dog. And Deep State Dog uh, can, you know, um, appear on mugs and T-shirts uh, alongside uh, Rosa Brooks's dog. Is your dog still alive? If you oh, of course my dog is still alive. I take excellent care of my dog. My dog at this very moment is working out at Frolic Canine Sports Club and Dog Agility School in Alexandria, where she where she uh, gets instruction twice a week. <laughs> what do, what do they instruct your dog to do? I mean, do your children envy that? <laughs> Or are my children, I think, I think her hour for hour costs are probably higher than my for my children. But <laughs> it does raise the possibility of these kind of special ops dogs or intelligence community dogs, which raises the interesting possibility of an actual farm, as opposed to the farm where we train intelligence community people, full of animals that we train for undercover operations. Rosa Brooks' dog could be uh, training right now for his next big mission. Yeah, well, you know, they have uh, rats who uh, detect landmines. Uh, we can have all kinds of animals doing useful things. My dog doesn't do anything useful. She just, she just does recreational agility, and she doesn't actually really need any instruction on agility. She's quite agile to start with, but she, she has learned to be on a balance beam and jump through hoops and go on a dog treadmill, but... 
but we could put all the animals to work. No, no, it's really impressive. They, at the, at the moment, have a, a, a snake that's president of the United States, so that's awesome. <laughs> and, and rats that testify against him, apparently. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, those are really rats. Well, you know, I thought um, our listeners, you know, they rely on you guys for guidance, not for me, because on a, uh, in a, something I wrote, like, a year ago, um, I suggested that the embassy would not get opened in Jerusalem because I thought it was a lot of baloney. Um, and um, I somehow managed to make it onto Politico's list of the 20 worst predictions of 2018 because, of course, the embassy... <laughs> Go, David! Uh, the embassy was... I was I was number 20 on the list. I do have to say that I think Ed Luce was number 15 on the list. Uh, I'm I don't... Proud, proud to share a list with you, David. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what, what was your erroneous prediction, Ed? Um, I think I'd sort of jumped a year and said impeachment proceedings would begin before the end of 2018, which, of course, is impossible because the Democratic House wouldn't have taken up by then. So I just rolled over my prediction to 2019. Yeah, no, and I think um, that's the thing. You know, some of you may remember, I mean, David, you may particularly remember Marshall Goldman. Of yeah. Yeah who year in and year out would predict the end of Gorbachev. And, you know, after eventually he was right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's... Uh, it's the great it's thing about being in the foreign policy business is that if you predict the worst case scenario and you're willing to stick with your prediction through a good part of your lifetime, the chances that sooner or later you're going to be directionally right <laughs> is probably really high. Uh, and indeed in economics. Let oh, us oh. just call this Sanger's theorem. Yeah. yeah well, no, and I think Sanger's theorem is something people should know. And by the way, if you're sitting out there, you're listening to Deep State Radio, you want to become a pundit, let's just take five minutes and give them a few useful tips. David has given an extremely good tip. There are some things which, if you predict them, they are certain to happen in the year ahead. So, for example, um, if you say there will be a cyber attack Majors, important cyber attack in the air ahead. What's the likelihood that's true, David? A hundred percent. I mean, exactly. you know, I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a book on the on the bet that there would be significant cyber attacks. You know, in the lifetime of the book, and it's already you know that prediction's already paid off. It's how come I'm if, not on your list? You know, <laughs> ahead of uh, uh, you know ahead of loose. Yeah. And then, then if you add that, that the U.S. government will be caught flat-footed and will respond inadequately, in, then you get in, another in, win. Right. Or you could just... Oh, wait, I have one. Yeah. I have one. Yeah. Which is, this problem requires a whole, a seamless whole of government solution. Oh, yeah. The always, uh, that's a good prediction. It's a good op-ed. Ed Luce <laughs> probably has that op-ed written, and he uses it every six months. <laughs> one, one other that you can add in, this senior national security official in the Trump administration will be in the president's disfavor and ousted by the end of the year. And if you make that prediction in January, you've got a, a pretty high likelihood of being right by December. That's absolutely true. Well, um, can we take bets on John Bolton's longevity? Uh, I already please, please, everybody go look at the picture of him wearing a virtual reality headset. Oh, yeah, that, that's a real um, class. Emma Ashford has just tweeted out the magnificent uh, caption 
that so he's sitting in a group of people. They're all wearing AR headsets. And Emma Ashford just tweeted out the caption. They're looking for Trump's Syria policy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's you know I mean predicting somebody's going to leave is a, is a good one. Ed, do you have another surefire prediction before we get to specifics? Uh, kind of uh, there there will be a recession soon. Um, that 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 always works because that's one a, always comes. Yeah, no, and, and in, in this case, it probably will um, by twenty twenty. Okay, Rosa, a surefire prediction. Uh, Congress will remain tied up in knots, fighting with each other, and will be unable to pass any significant legislation this year. Perfect. Take that, Politico. None of these will be inaccurate because they. Wait, wait, can I add one? Yes. ISIS turns out not to be defeated after all. <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> right. Oh, we should also take bets on whether we still have troops in Syria in a year <laughs> after the 30 days Trump set has expired. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take I'm willing to take all comers on that one because we'll have we'll have troops there. We may not admit to having troops there. We'll have troops there. Yeah, of Bolton course. has now said 30 days. After the conditions have been met, the conditions being ISIS defeated, no influence by Iran, and uh, Turkey doesn't destroy the Kurdish forces. And David, David Sanger, were you able to get uh, John Bolton to offer any predictions about how long it would take for those conditions to be met? Well, he actually uh, said in the quote, months or years. So it was 30 days after the month or years. Well, no, I think months or years was my phrase. I, I didn't see oh. that Bolton said that. I think I, I think I think that I said that those conditions could amount to months or years. But I take new heart in it now because the president at about uh, 10 a.m. on Monday morning, the story the story went up on our website mid afternoon on Sunday. It took the president until 10 a.m. on Monday to declare that it was fake news and that the New York Times had completely misinterpreted his policy and that he has always <laughs> said that we would be there as long as we were needed, that we would not be rushing out. I, I thought... Well, but, but, but wait, moments later, John Bolton tweeted in response to the president's tweet, and he said, I agree with these thoughts. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I guess we were all hearing, you know, too much Christmas music when the president said 30 days. And then when the president said uh, or his aide said, no, 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 30 days means three or four months. And then when the State Department on Friday said there's no fixed schedule. So um, it, it is a little bit elastic. You know? Well, but this you, is good because if you're trying to keep your enemy off balance, there's no better way to do it <laughs> than to send all of your aides out tripping all over each other all week. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this also, I think, this validates the uh, Shockey Brooks theory of uh, President Trump as well, which is that he he just says stuff, which he may or may not believe he's going to do when he says it. Then he proceeds to do something that is either the opposite or is just completely different um, and works on the theory that most people only paid attention the first thing, time he said it, 
And so his supporters to whom he was playing when he said it the first time are happy because they remember that he said it and they don't notice that he's not actually doing it. And the people who didn't like what he said are reasonably happy because they didn't want him to do it anyway. Uh, and so, you know, we need, I don't know what this means for those of you who are reporters, David, but I, I wonder whether it means don't even bother reporting on well, these Well, no, I mean, it gives you a chance to correct it. And I, I, I do want to point out ever so undefensively that when I predicted last year that the embassy wouldn't open up, even though there was an embassy opening ceremony, a lot of the activities that embassies typically do are still not done in that embassy. And the ambassador who typically um, lives and primarily works out or primarily works out of the embassy still does not primarily work out of that embassy. He also works out of the Tel Aviv embassy. So it's really not quite an embassy even now. And that supports. David, you should not have been on that list. That's yeah, I, I don't think either of us should have. Yeah, no. Wait a minute. I think David should have been on the list because at this time last year, I recall him saying, under no conditions will I ever get a dog. No, I, no, I don't, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't I, I don't think my wife would have allowed that statement, but because she said was... I will get a dog within thirty days. Uh, <laughs> uh, thirty I, days exactly. after conditions have been met. <laughs> yeah, thirty days. Thirty days after ISIS is defeated, David was determined to get a dog. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but luckily, the... his wife saw right through that one. <laughs> yeah, and ignored all of it. But uh, I would say that it does get us to the. One prediction, but before we move on to perhaps slightly more subtle predictions, that is always guaranteed to be true, and that is that the president will lie, you know, that the president will dissemble or misrepresent or get it wrong, because that seems to be happening on a daily basis, which, by the way, you know, I, let me ask that, you. That, that is a dog bites man prediction. That doesn't that, qualify as news. Yeah, nobody prints that. Yeah, we need, a, we need a man bites dog to qualify no, as no, news. These are you are you are so old school in the in the trite stuff there, Luz. This is now snack bites host. Wow. Or host <laughs> bites snack. Yeah, that deep state dog won't hunt. Um, <laughs> uh, now let's just turn our attention to the rest of the world. Um, and and make some predictions for 2019. And let me turn to you first, David. And then, you know, each of you may make a prediction or follow up on what the prior speaker has said. But, David, um, the president has said we're out of Syria. Then Bolton said we're there till the conditions are met. Pompeo has said blah, 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 blah. Dunford is staying behind. What's your prediction for Syria for 2019? Mm. That Syria becomes even more than it is today a um, subset of Iranian and Russian influence, that the United States will stay there in the smallest of ways, which is to say we may not have 2,000 troops, we may have periodic um, uh, special operations uh, forces going in and out, except in the southeast where Mr. Bolton is quite worried about Iranian influence, and I think we'll probably keep a continued uh, force there. Um, so uh, on Syria, you know, we weren't there in a big way, and we'll be there in just a slightly smaller way by the end of the year. Okay, Corey, give us a big juicy prediction about someplace in the world. Uh, let's see. Um, the U.S. and China 
we'll have a military incident at sea, a violent um, clash that that really tests the Trump administration for the first time. Wow. Well, that's a, that one actually has me a little bit frightened. Um, it should have you a lot frightened. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that we are we're up for that. I will. I mean, Ed. I mean, we could throw into that in following up that the U.S. and China will reach some kind of deal on U.S.-China trade, and it will be inadequate. And U.S.-China trade relations will deteriorate for the next ten years, particularly around issues of technology transfer. Would you say that was as good as your? your yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're, de we're defining you know what's an acceptable deal downwards because a deal in this context would be not escalating tariffs uh, in early March after this ninety-day um, pause elapses. Um, that would be considered a victory in these circumstances because, as you know, it's supposed to go up the tariffs. Trump's tariffs oh. are supposed to go from ten to twenty-five percent, and China buys a few more Boeing's. Um, and makes a few completely unenforceable pledges on on um, desisting from forced technology transfer, and we go back to square one. That that would be a deal. Um, uh, uh, that would be a victory, at least from the point of view of the markets in today's context. But it would, of course, be um, just um, solidifying the step backwards, the two steps backward. I, I think that Trump has taken um, uh, with China in, in the last year. But it does keep in contact, uh, con uh, uh, consistent with his general view of there's a status quo ante. He screws things up. He then gets things back to the status quo ante, more or less, and declares victory. Indeed, and and the, the markets, you know, applaud him too. So he he, he can then point to the Dow Jones index uh, as uh, an example of his victory. Um, the fact that you know it's lost eight percent in the last year. Um, it will will be forgotten, in, at least in Trump's mind. So uh, the the big the bigger question, though, of a U.S.-China trade war, this will just be another pause, another um, uh, another minor detour in a war that's not going to go away with or without Trump in the White House. Okay, Rosa, a prediction um, of some sort about something. Um. Well, I have a domestic prediction about the government shutdown, and I and, and this is one where I, I really hope I'm wrong. Um, but my prediction is that the Democrats in Congress will blink first. Uh, you know that that Trump, I think, is would be perfectly happy to have 800,000 people uh, out of work and not getting paychecks into perpetuity, um, and perfectly happy to cause you know chaos and calamity in the na everything from the national park system to VA hospitals and, um, and that the, at, when push comes to shove, uh, you know, I mean, he's essentially blackmailing the Democrats saying, you know, fund my wall or I'm going to kill the puppy. Uh, if I may use such a metaphor, David, without, without upsetting snack. Um, and, and Trump is happy to kill the puppy. And the Democrats are not actually going to be willing to let the puppy die. So I think they're going to blink first. I think there's going to end up being some quote unquote compromise, which will give, unfortunately, give victory to Trump to end the shutdown, which is probably just as well for the fate of the many people who are suffering as a result of this completely unnecessary shutdown, but will be uh, a political victory for Trump and a defeat for the Democrats. That's that's my prediction. 
Well, that's a good prediction. It is a, also a taste of what the next episode will be about, because I really would like to focus that one more on on um, domestic developments, including the future of the president. Uh, but let's keep going around the world here, as we do. There's so many different places. David, um, perhaps you've got another one you want to throw into the hopper. So let's let's turn to North Korea, because we know that the president is going to seek another meeting with um, Kim Jong-un, that uh, over the Christmas holiday, you'd be um, forgiven for having missed this because you might have been feeding snack or <laughs> pouring eggnog or something like that. But um, uh, Kim Jong-un gave a New Year's um, address in which, on the one hand, he sounded very open to another meeting and praised President Trump, and on the other hand said he was completely running out of patience for the absence of um, sanctions relief and made um, uh, no particular specific offer on anything that most normal people would call denuclearization. So here's my prediction, that they meet again and that the president then, President Trump then goes and does what every one of his predecessors has done and begins to relieve sanctions in return for some kind of concession from the North Koreans. It might be a freeze on their current production. It might be a freeze on uh, missile production. There's already been, as the president points out, um, no nuclear tests and no um, missile tests, but that doesn't get you to denuclearization. And that the president will declare victory and tell us that he has accomplished more than any American president has done before. Uh, except if you count, say, the 1994 agreement that President uh, Clinton um, got, which won a freeze from the North Koreans for some number of years, and um, that he will declare this problem to be solved until it becomes so wildly obvious that it hasn't been solved. Rich, by the way, and I throw this out there uh, for you, um, uh, and this is the kind of subject that I, I know Rosa uh, likes a lot, uh, if the president um, reaches a deal in order to make himself look good, even though he knows that the North Koreans are cheating and building up nuclear weapons, and he gives them some kind of um, settlement uh, that you know, or or some kind of benefit to the deal that gives them even more wherewithal to do that, um, whereas you couldn't. Um, say the president was guilty of treason with Russia because we're not actually in a state of war with Russia. We still are technically in a state of war with North Korea because that one has not actually ended. Um, and so he would actually be in more legal jeopardy. What do you think, Rosa? Do I, could no. I make it as a lawyer? <laughs> sorry, David. No, oh. uh, sorry. Nice try, though. Unpersuasive. Yeah. It's a good effort. Oh. It was a Thank creative you. effort. But... Thank you. I was just um, trying to, I was, yeah. uh, no, okay. I, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, you know, treason quite rightly is, is, is something that we reserve for particularly egregious, uh, acts of treachery, um, betrayal, uh, malice, et cetera. And in, in a situation like that, you just say, look, it's the president's prerogative to do things that he regards as conducive to ending a conflict and bringing about peace. Uh, and, you know, if, if the president by stealth, uh, you know, wrote in invisible ink all of the nuclear codes and, you know, handed them to to the North Koreans by stealth, 
um, then you got then you got a good treason case. But if the president simply does dumbass things that, in our opinion, in fact, uh, uh, strengthen the position of our enemy, that's just being a dumbass, not a traitor. Uh, that is exactly right, by the way. And I knew all of this before I started. Uh, and we almost never we, ne- but we it's dumbass, fabulous dumbass. to wind her up on dumbassery. Yeah. No, and no, dumbass I, is a separate legal category. No, it is a separate legal category. And having immersed immersed myself in the books about treason and traitors for the past six months, um, I could go into more detail, and I won't, to spare all of you. Corey, this is the best prediction (laughs) show ever because all the predictions are going to come true. What would you like to add to the mix? You realize, by the way, David, before Corey says anything, that we're going to have to have an episode a year from now in which we review these predictions. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It could be like the way on Car Talk, they called people back up <laughs> to see if their predictions had come true. Wait, so we'd like call John Bolton and say, yeah. John, yeah. just checking in. How's ice? How does that doing? work out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Car Talk yes. is the, the, the um, apotheosis of this medium. I mean, if we could get anywhere near, if we had a shred of Car Talk in us, I would think that we uh, we had really uh, <laughs> succeeded fully. So the uh, best car talk, uh, calling back somebody from a year earlier, they called a guy who had called in about whether or not to surreptitiously destroy his wife's car. She was listening. It was so fabulous. Um, yeah, we can only aspire to that. We can only hope that Ed Luce's magnificent piece in the Financial Times about how all the people who supported President Trump for his economic policies have to own everything. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, given our economic performance for most Americans, that would be true of, by the way, all the people who've supported any president in the past 40 years, um, and and not to their credit necessarily. Um, but But... Corey, something else in the world that you're looking for to happen? Uh, Yes. Um, As the the Free Trade Pact, formerly known as the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership, comes into being, um, the president's support across the Midwest uh, will collapse as American businesses lose their markets in Japan and Australia. And well, Canada, so so brutally ridiculed by the president, Justin Trudeau will be doing his happy dance because Canadian wheat growers and soybean growers and, um, and top-of-the-line high-tech firms are going to be the main beneficiary. Well, I, you know, I have to say, um, I suspect Trump opposed this on the grounds that it, the, the first word of the deal was trans and that he's just anti-trans in any. <laughs> in, OK, the error in your logic, David, yeah. is thinking he has continuity from one issue to the next. 
Um, And that requires an attention span greater than the president has given any evidence of. By the way, I am so with you. And another thing that we can predict for the year ahead is that every week or so, some well-meaning journalist at some well-meaning publication will talk about Trump strategy or Trump doctrine or Trump foreign (laughs) policy or the Trump foreign policy process. And there is no strategy, doctrine, foreign policy or foreign policy process. Um, and there never will Kevin be. What, could we get a clarification here, David? Would you categorize um, me or my brother Ed Luce here uh, as well-meaning journalists? Uh, no, I wasn't referring to either. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're, Corey, we're, we're, we're writing about how the motherfucker is going to be impeached. Yeah, and as and, and <laughs> I it is love- well known that you are the enemy of the American people. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> to see that. All. I'd like to see that on a on a on a mug. But Corey with her uncanny knack zeroed in on exactly the last such piece I saw like this. So what was your point about Kevin Barron of Defense One? Kevin Barron at Defense One has a terrific article about the way that that Trump's erratic decision on Syria um, has actually opened a trap door underneath the national security strategy and collapsed any potential for taking them seriously about strategy because everything that has been American policy about countering terrorism, stabilizing the situation so that you gain the political benefits of the the combat and assisting governance so that you develop the indigenous capacity to fight these threats All of that has been overturned because the logic that the president used about Syria is equally applicable to Iraq. It's equally applicable to Afghanistan. It's equally applicable to the places in Africa where troops are rising and falling at numbers that nobody's trying to justify to the American people. Logic schmogic, Corey. (laughs) You are so... (laughs) Quoting the president, Rosa. Yeah, so erudite. Ed, why don't you give us a prediction about Brexit? Well, I guess good predictions should be ones that that are startling and therefore are likely to be proved wrong. And therefore, I'm going to indulge my fantasy and say Brexit will be reversed. Um, I don't think it's um, as fantastical a prospect as it would have been a few months ago because Theresa May's deal is going to be rejected by Parliament, then she'll probably go back again and it'll be rejected again. And then we will be faced with a choice, which is going over the cliff, um, which which would be uh, a catastrophic, um, or um, having a referendum on her deal with one of the other options being to go back to the status quo ante, namely staying in the European Union. Um, it's still a slightly wishful prediction because... I think for that to happen, we will have to go over the cliff. I think people will actually have to see the real consequences in practice because nobody believes the scenarios that are painted. Nobody believes the forecasts. Nobody believes experts. Nobody believes what they're told. The The level of cynicism in Britain, and Corey can um, back me up here, is, if anything, worse than it is uh, in the United States. So my fear is that Britain will have to it will have to die before it comes back to life. Um, but my hope is that uh, it, it can actually avoid death altogether. Uh, okay, interesting. Now that's a long than- way from the sun never sets, man. 
It, it, it is. It is. I, I never predicted the sun would never set. I just want to say, you know, in case Politico is listening, that that wasn't one of my predictions. In fact, it set. It set before I was born. So, you know, is your goal yeah. next year not to be on the list at all, or just to be on the list below Rothkopf? I just want to be below Rothkopf. <laughs> Yeah, David uh, Rothkopf, what are your predictions? Am I? Yeah, what? come on, yeah. I'm I'm out of the business, man. I mean, you know, I've been humiliated publicly. You can't for... do that. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get yourself off that list. Um, well, you've been humiliated less than Ed has been humiliated. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm very happy to make predictions about anywhere. Pick a place in the world, and I'll make a prediction. Go on, Venezuela. Just... Venezuela will continue to descend into shit and uh, the United States, uh, because the president's going to be in more and more trouble, is going to meddle in it more and more. This time with the cooperation of the president's new friend, the fascist, really repulsive president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, who within hours of taking office started laying waste to Amazon rainforest and indigenous peoples um, and who wants to have a good relationship with the president and who, unlike past or recent Brazilian presidents, really doesn't have much time for the Venezuelan government. So I think of the places in the world that could reach a point of criticality, uh, uh, Venezuela is real high on the list. You know, I noticed that nobody has done a um, prediction about Russia. And, you know, given the fact that during the nice holidays, we were thinking, are they about to go invade parts of Ukraine? There were those rumors kicking around, whether it was fake news or real news or uh, just a watch of, of their troop movements. Um, Russia interfering with the Ukrainian election, which is in March, uh, at least by cyber means, if not by other means. Um, I think we're due some Russia uh, predictions here. So go ahead. I was going to um, say one of us is knowledgeable on this subject, Singer. Uh, well, only medium so. So here's my here's my um, prediction that you will see the Russian reaction to the increasing um, uh, revelations by Mueller, by the House and Senate investigation committees, and all that will be to step up their cyber activity, but outside the United States. Uh, that Ukraine will continue to be their petri dish, and that if we want to get a sense of what 2020 will look like in the United States, a good place to start looking for hints will be uh, Ukraine in 19 in 2019. Um, that uh, you'll probably see Russia take a few actions along the border, uh, thinking that they have concluded from the Syria part that the one thing that Donald Trump will not do is is um, seriously confront them. If he was, you would have seen this this uh, over this past holiday season some more U.S. just visits and you know presence of troops and so forth. You have seen none of that. So um, my guess is that that if anything, Putin is emboldened this year. Uh, okay, that's a good one. We haven't hit China yet. Somebody want to offer us a good China? Well, I guess I guess well, Corey did a give us a yeah. We did we did get a war in the South China Sea. Um, 
I was thinking more, and I guess we did trade. So I, and there is a global recession. So China, Ed, give us an India prediction. Um, that well, India is very interesting this year because um, Modi's re-election, well, the general election is uh, has to be held by May, so it will be held in May. Um, and until about six months ago, the assumption had been that the BJP had won such a thumping majority in 2014 that there would be virtually no chance it wouldn't be re-elected uh, in 2019. And now that's beginning to look um, doubtful for the first time. And somebody whose political career, political obituary um, has been written many times, Rahul Gandhi, the leader of the Congress party, is beginning to uh, be treated with a newfound respect. Uh, most of these problems that Modi faces are self-created. He promised he'd create 10 million manufacturing jobs a year, and he's creating nothing like that. He demonetized uh, the rupee. He withdrew big bill uh, denominations, which caused a lot of bankruptcies and um, heartache in the economy. Um, but he's also been alienating, um, as his is his ideology, his Hindu, Hindu nationalist ideology, a lot of um, the minorities, Muslims and, and Christians in particular, in India, and backing some really nasty, mostly below the radar, uh, communal politics, communal um, savagery, really, against minority groups in India. And, and that's sparked a backlash, too. My, my fear for Modi is that, you know, he's a Jekyll and Hyde kind of figure, and the Jekyll is all about not being corrupt, being an efficient project executor um, and being um, all about modern infrastructure, which India desperately needs. And the Hyde is this Islamophobe who could, you know, very cold-bloodedly create a, a communal incident such as the one we had in Gujarat in 2002, where he was chief minister, um, which led to his um, having his visa denied to visit the United States for the next 10 years. Um, that he can create this kind of diversion if he thinks he's going to lose in May. I mean, India, it, I'm glad you asked, gets overlooked. Um, it is the largest democracy in the world. It does have a sort of neo-authoritarian populist as its prime minister. And its secular um, civic norms are being eroded. It, it is a hugely important election, which I hope we will pay the attention uh, it deserves. So, Corey, give us give us one about the rest of Europe. I, one of the reasons I'm asking is that when I listen to Ed talk about this and then I think about Bolsonaro, I also was thinking about Netanyahu, who, who got on TV today, actually the day we're taping this, and, and made some ridiculous statement that he should be allowed special privileges to confront his accusers in a purely Trumpian move. And I was thinking, by the end of this year, the idea of being somebody else's country's Donald Trump is not going to be as uh, seem like a, a, a savvy political strategy as it may have seemed two years ago. Um, and Europe's full of them. <laughs> well, Europe's not full of them, really. Um, the continuity in Germany between Angela Merkel and her party's uh, selected successor suggests that popularity of policies in stark contrast to President Trump's. Um, and Germany's an important anchor in that regard. But I agree, Hungary, Italy, Poland are have elected leaders because America's an example, others follow. But it also merits 
consideration that Europe was electing those leaders before Donald Trump. And so I don't think we can actually blame the Trump administration for the rise of populism. I think it's a broader phenomenon that's about the economic dislocation of a time of enormous technological and social change that governments are not adequately coming up with policies to address. And my favorite example is my own Republican Party's failure to de-link healthcare from people's jobs, which started as a benefit to get around wage and price controls in the 1940s, and now is an enormous disincentive to people making the kinds of moves that um, would make them a lot more sustainable as the economy is changing. So I think it's a broader phenomenon, but here's my prediction for Europe, that uh, the populist snake gets defanged because people see that the German economy continues to prosper, that although they took an enormous number of refugees, those refugees are in fact integrating into German society, are in fact providing the labor force that Germany needs as its own population ages and doesn't reproduce itself. Um, I'm actually, as will not surprise you, given that I own the tiara of optimism, I, I actually think the populist wave has probably crested in our country and also in Europe. All right, well, we'll give the-, hey, the David, can I, can I ask for like a vote on one prediction that seems to me to be the most obvious? Sure, Will and then we we're gonna end, one second, then we're okay. gonna end with Rosa <laughs> um, and the, the thorny crown of entropy prediction of the year. So Rosa, get it, well, you know, make it might, real dark. This might actually help warm her up for that. Will there be one mile of permanent, not just like quick wire, uh, Trump wall built along uh, the um, southern border by midnight on December 31st? No. <laughs> no. I'm no gonna, is, I'm gonna no extend, is my vote as well. I'm going to extend my prediction that the Democrats blink first, and the Democrats probably will blink first, and Trump will end up getting some kind of uh, funding, significantly more funding than the last proposed compromise for the so-called wall, but that general incompetence and fecklessness and screwed upness will prevent them from actually building it because they'll be so busy dealing with all of the self-created crises uh, such as migrant children dying that they will never get around to it. Well, and, and in fact, they haven't spent the money that's already been allocated, have they? Yeah, correct. Not. Yeah. Which uh, is partly because the whole idea is stupid and everybody knows it. Um, <laughs> yes. And they're incompetent. And if you take stupidity and incompetence and you put them together in a special way, what do you get? Deep State Radio. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh. That's... <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, uh, all right, Rosa, I'm going to give you the last word and refrain from responding. I'm done. I'm done. That's it. That's as that's, that's as bleak. That's as bleak as you get. No war with Iran. No spreading war in no, Yemen. No. 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 Well, yeah, you spread, we might might have spreading war in Yemen, but I don't think we're gonna have a war with Iran. No war uh, with Iran. Spreading war in Yemen. Okay. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. You can skip right ahead to 2020 right now because we have given you 2019 in a nutshell, and. Uh, 
I am certain that every single one of these predictions will uh, come true, and I will stake my reputation as a prognosticator on it. Uh, go on, David. Yes. I, I I think that's I think that's exactly <laughs> right. I, I think I think <gasps> wait, to, wait, use, to use the Corey phrase. Exactly right. I think I think David yeah. Rothkoff is exactly right, and I've what? said it early in the year, so it's out of the way. Time Absolutely. People. Yeah, timestamp exactly. Well, I'm going to go and immediately um, hug hug Deep State Dog because this all makes me very very nervous. Um, but in the meantime, wait, wait. Can I say one last thing that I meant to say earlier when we were talking about Syria? Yeah. Um, which is that the Trump administration's reversal on this is just a delicious reminder um, that that. Uh, they have said that Secretary Mattis was sort of a Democrat, and they suggested that these establishment positions, like not scaring everybody by erratically reversing yourself and leaving your allies to be slaughtered, that these were somehow deep state, uh, the deep state preventing the president from carrying out his agenda. And now, John Bolton becomes the architect of putting these policies in place. So John Bolton is now the deep state. I was Ooh. just wondering if we could get rid of John Bolton that way by just by just fomenting rumors and writing headlines that say things like John Bolton puppet master, you know, John <laughs> Bolton totally controlling useless fool Trump. Because I think I, that would pretty much guarantee that he'll be nobody. Nobody has written that, but I did note that after we wrote our story about Mr. Bolton seeming to contradict the positions the president took, the president did tweet about it. Um, uh, 18 hours later after he saw it in the print paper. And um, so I assume that at some point there will be some discussion between the president and Mr. Bolton about what the uh, administration's position is or whether they describe them the same way. Well, if there's a discussion, it could just be a Twitter exchange because that is, in fact, the policy process in this administration. Um, but, folks, we're not done this is just the beginning. This is the first episode of 2019. We wish you all Happy New Year. We uh, hope that this is a great year for all of you out there in deep state radio land. We hope that this is the worst year of Donald Trump's life, or at least I do. Um, and uh, we hope that you will come back several times a week to this show and to the other shows that we have on Deep State Radio Network um, so that you can enjoy and understand and uh, get stay ahead of the game in what might happen in the year ahead. In the meantime, I want to thank you, Corey, and I want to thank you, Ed, and I want to thank you, Rosa, and I want to thank you, uh, David, and I want to suggest everybody go to deepstateradionetwork.com, look for the other stuff we've got up there, sign up, become a member, support what we're doing. We have big plans this year, and we'd love you to be part of it, and we think you'll enjoy that. So bye-bye for now. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.